Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch. I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee Presbyterian, and whether you are in person or on the live stream, we are absolutely overjoyed that you have chosen to join with us in worship this morning as we gather together to celebrate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're visiting with us this morning, if today is your first time here, we offer a very, very warm welcome to you. We're thrilled that you're with us. We hope that you were led to our visitor's table where you could have picked up a, a goodie bag, a bag of swag that allows you to just get to know us a little bit and give some good, I said some good gifts. They're pretty cool. Those tumblers, I have them in my, uh, you know, they're cool. I visited one time, and so I decided to stay. So go, go from there. Uh, if you are on the end of your aisle, one of our visions, aspirations, is that we would be a church offering friendship. And so we would love to have you sign the friendship pad, let us know that you are here, pass it down the aisle so that your new or maybe old friends, I don't know, will have the opportunity to do that as well. Now, there are a lot of announcements today, so if I forget one, bring your bulletin, not during the sermon, though but bring your bulletin home and look at them later. I'm going to try to remember as many as I can. One, and this is a change, I just got a call about 10 minutes ago that our entire children's worship staff, so to speak, is sick. We don't know what's going on. What that means is whoever was scheduled to do children's worship is sick. So children, you're going to stay in here with us. You're going to get to listen to me talk about Jonah and the big fish today. At least I think the sermon is appropriate for all ages in that regard. So there's no children's worship this morning. Music program. Amy, tell me if I miss anything. The bottom line is, if you sing, if you want to sing, if you sing well, if you don't sing well, if you make a joyful noise, if you don't have enough joy of the Lord in your heart and need to get some, we want you to join our music ministry. We want you to join the choir, the praise team. Amy will teach you anything and everything you need to know. And this group up here, they will welcome you with open arms. And you want to know why? Because I told them to. They have to. So you want to be a part. So here's a couple of different things. The new choir year kicks off on Thursday, September 1st. Rehearsal is from 7 to 8.30 on Thursday evenings. And then there will be a choir retreat on September 9th and 10th. And that is if you are interested in singing in the Christmas program, the Christmas cantata, 
And if you have any questions, if anything I said did not make any sense, Amy will answer those questions as well. But we're really excited about that. Now, you think I'm excited about the choir and the music ministry? Nursery. We are, you know, we have children down in the nursery. I don't even know if you knew that or not. Okay, so we need your help now more than ever because that ministry is actually growing. And so we have plenty. We have a good many volunteers. We're grateful for those who've signed up. Tommy Evans, who's the elder in charge of the education team, is the nursery coordinator. He will answer any questions that you have. There's a sign-up sheet in the narthex, and we'd encourage you uh, to sign up and to do that. Women's ministry, we've been announcing the pastor and potluck, as well as the secret sisters. There are both sign-up sheets in the narthex for that. You can do that. ESL, still looking for volunteers. Russell Puppy will help you with that. And then there's an in insert. Can you tell we're getting close to fall? A lot of new things kicking off. This insert will share with you all the different things in terms of Sunday school resuming, what you need to know that that is Sunday, September 11th, all the various Bible studies, all the various home fellowship groups, a lot of opportunities for growth and community. One of the things that we say is if you want to really get plugged into the church, the way to do that is be a part of a smaller group somewhere. It's how you get to know people better. So those are a lot of the different things going on in the life of the church. We're pretty excited about what the Lord is doing in and amongst us. And now as we hear the prelude, let's prepare our hearts for worship. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel alone and want community, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, 
to all who fail and desire strength, to all who worry and want peace, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and to whoever will come, this church offers her welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our call to worship is from Psalm 99, verses 1 to 3. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Lord, we praise you that you have welcomed us into your presence and called us to exalt your most holy name. We ask now that you would join us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to lead us to Christ, to comfort us, to challenge us, and to glorify yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing our opening hymn of praise, Holy, Holy, Holy. continual confession when he says, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, of course, in context, this verse comes right after the one where Paul said, count yourselves. So in other words, here's how you're to think about yourself. Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And he goes right on from there saying, even though you are dead to sin, 
you will still struggle with sin. So he reminds the Roman Christians that even though you are dead to sin, even though there's therefore now no condemnation, even though you are under grace, you still have this tension with you. Being under grace doesn't mean you just go and live any way you want. It is not a license to sin. So he says we're debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. In other words, we're not debtors to ourselves, to do whatever we want. And then he gives kind of this warning that's in the form of a promise. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That means you will, that's not just talking about eventual death, you will experience alienation, disintegration. Your life will feel like it's falling apart in the here and now. But here's the good news. If by the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, eternal life begins now. It's been inaugurated now. So friends, this invitation to confession, and I know I say this every week, I pray that this is one of the best times of worship each week. It's a time for us to be honest and to come clean and to receive grace. Take a few moments, engage with the Lord, personally confess your sins, and then in a few minutes, we will pray corporately this confession of sin together. Let us pray. Friends, let us pray together to the Lord. God of mercy, you sent Jesus Christ to seek and save the lost. We confess that we have strayed from you and turned aside from your way. We are misled by pride, for we see ourselves pure when we are stained and great when we are small. We have failed in love, neglected justice, and ignored your truth. Have mercy, O God, and forgive our sin. Return us to paths of righteousness through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. And friends, receive the assurance of pardon. The Apostle Paul writes, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Friends, you are not only legally forgiven, but you are personally welcomed. The heart of God is wide open to you, welcoming you into his very family. He is your Father. If you are in Christ and you are his son or daughter, Friends, let's pray. Let's continue to praise God, singing, Behold Our God. Let us stand together.
As we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, I want to give you just a brief update regarding our dear friends Doug and Jean Hesse. Doug was taken yesterday by Jean to the emergency room where he was admitted. Uh, he's just still experiencing severe pain from all the various chemo and radiation treatments that he has been receiving. They did get good news, and that is the cancer markers were at one time, and I'm not sure I know what all the numbers mean, uh, but they were at one time 1,000, and now they are 24, which means the tumor has shrunk. And so that is good news. But Doug is really feeling weak. They're trying to get him rehydrated, and I assure Gene we would be fervently lifting them up in prayer. Now, we know that there are many who are in need of prayer of various kinds. So let's go before the Lord, our Heavenly Father, in this time of prayer. We will recite and acknowledge the Lord's Prayer together in unison, and then I will lead us in our time of prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God, our Father, we just read in the scriptures a few moments ago that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That, you, that we have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons, the spirit of sonship by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And in Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. We are totally dependent upon you. We cry out for mercy for our dear friend Doug. We cry out for mercy for Gene. We pray that you would help him to regain his strength, to lessen his pain, to bring comfort to his body and his soul and his mind that you would help Jean and strengthen her as she watches and cares for her husband. Father, we ask that you give the medical doctors great skill, that they would have wisdom to know what is best. We do thank you for the gift of technology and medicine, and you have blessed us in so many ways. Help us to remember, though, that we are ultimately dependent upon your grace and your mercy. And so we cry out for mercy. And Father, we pray for many others who are hurting, who are struggling. We pray, Father, for the various afflictions that folks are going through. We ask, Lord, that you would comfort them. We ask, Lord, that you would give them your peace. Father, we thank you for the new beginnings that you're allowing us as a church to go through as we approach fall, we're excited about the start of various new ministries. Lord, we're excited about the music ministry, and we pray for the upcoming choir and praise team season, and we pray, Father, for Amy and everyone in the music ministry that we would sing praises to you, that you would inhabit our praises. Lord, we thank you for the women's ministry and the wonderful work that is going on there, various opportunities for growth, for learning, for community, for fellowship, and for outreach. We pray, Father, for our missions, and today we think of Chuck and Debbie Garriott, and we lift them up before you. We thank you that you have raised them up to do the work of ministry to state, and we pray very specifically that you would provide a leader, a director for Atlanta, for the state capital here in Georgia. Lord, we thank you for Christian education and the nursery, Sunday school that's about to start, the various home fellowship groups that are getting ready to start, Bible studies that have continued to meet, and some will be resuming. Lord, I also pray that in all of these ministries that we lift up, you would keep us from just doing church, but that we would be the church, that we would not hide our lamp under a bushel, but we would let our light shine and shine to this community, that we would be salt and light so that in every ministry, 
we would think about how can we shine our light to our community. So we pray for Putnam County and for Greene County and for Morgan County. We pray, Father, for the areas around us. We pray for the many hundreds, maybe even thousands, who are not a part of a church, that you would bring them to the church and bring them, more importantly, to you, Lord Jesus. That we would bring the gospel to this community and that the good news, that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would spread over this community like the waters cover the sea. Father, we ask for revival. We ask for renewal. And may it start with us. May our hearts be softened and melted that we would continually be rediscovering the glory and the riches of the gospel. We cry out to you for mercy and ask that you would forgive our hard-heartedness, forgive our dullness of heart and our slowness of heart. Lord, may Christ burn in our hearts like he did to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, that as we hear the word of God, our hearts would be lit on fire. We are dependent upon you for all of these things, and we pray, for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. Amen.
don't you want to join that group? I mean, I'm just, I'm blown away. So part of me is thinking, so if we don't do our job of praising the Lord, God's grace, the gospel's going to prevail. The rocks are going to cry out. God's name will be praised. Anybody want to say with me, hallelujah? We've been looking at the topic, the question of why the church. Why did Jesus put this entity here on earth called the church? We've been looking at Jesus' heart, that his mission was to come and to seek and to save the lost, that God has a mission, and he has a church for his mission, that his mission is to bring the gospel to the world. His mission is comprehensive cosmic renewal, and it will be carried out by his people, by his church. Now, we've been looking at kind of some foundational passages that talk about the mission of God. This morning, and for the next several weeks, we are going to be doing a case study of what it looks like to miss the heart of God, the danger of disobedience. We're going to be looking at an unlikely hero, a man by the name of Jonah, who was, in fact, a historical figure. We're going to be taking a look at his life, his commissioning, his hearing the call of the Lord, his going in the opposite direction, and what are some of the consequences of that. And we are going to be looking at the heart of God, because the theme of the book of Jonah is the boundless compassion of God. This morning we are looking at just this opening introduction, three verses. You get a short scripture reading for once. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher this morning. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would illumine our hearts, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the riches of the gospel. Help us to be challenged where we need to be challenged, warned where we need to be warned. Give us the courage to search our own hearts and show us Christ, his majesty, his beauty, his compassion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I knew what I was supposed to do. It was Friday night, and there was an event at the high school. Every Friday night, I would either go to a football game or to a basketball game or to whatever was going on at one of the local high schools in the area. You know why? I was the local Young Life leader, and I was supposed to be there. I was supposed to be there to meet kids, have conversations, meet new kids, tell them about Young Life Club. But tonight, this particular Friday night, I didn't want to go. I knew what I was supposed to do, and I just plain out didn't want to do it. I knew I was supposed to. I didn't. I was tired. It had been a long week. I wanted to stay home. I wanted to relax. I wanted to go to bed early. I didn't feel like standing there feeling like an oddball going, I wonder if the kids will walk up to me waiting for someone to come. I made all the excuses, all the rationalizations. I'd been there hundreds of times before. What does not going that one time hurt? I had all of my excuses. And what did I do? I didn't go. I knew what I was supposed to do and didn't do it. You know what? I bet I'm not alone. Have you ever known the right thing to do? Knew exactly what God was calling you to do. 
Not an area where, Lord, make your will clear to me. I'm fuzzy here. I'm not sure what I should be doing. No, we're talking an area where you know exactly what you're supposed to do, and you didn't want to do it. God said go left, and you said, I'm going right. We're not alone. You know what? We are all Jonah. Jonah heard the call from God and went the other direction. We have our reasons. He had his reasons. We run away from God and need his boundless compassion. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you this morning. Search your heart. Ask the Spirit to show you. Know your particular ways of running from God. Know your particular ways of hiding from God, of avoiding God, maybe even of trying to do the right thing, but do it as a way of still running from God. What are the ways you run from God? Are you aware of how you miss the heart of God? See, the book of Jonah that we're diving into for the next several weeks is one of the most familiar of books and stories in the entire Bible. Almost everyone has heard of it at one time or the other, of Jonah and the whale. Even if you're not biblically literate, if you're not all that familiar with the Bible, you've heard of this story. Jonah is certainly an unlikely leading man. He is definitely someone, when we get to know him, we can identify with. See, Jonah is an autobiographical book told in the third person, and it searches our hearts because it is the story of a man on the run from God. The book searches out Jonah's heart, and in that way, it searches out our hearts. It searches out his moods, his fears, his motivations, and in this way, it's a book about us, inviting us to search and look into our hearts. But more importantly, more important than being a book about us, it is a book about God. Because Jonah's experience, and through Jonah's experience, we come to discover the heart and character of God. See, Jonah is an absolutely, absolute literary masterpiece. It is literary genius. Just to give you one key feature, one of its key features is satire. You know what satire does? Satire is fascinating because it exposes human vice or folly. Here you've got the main character of the book, Jonah. Do you know who Jonah is? He's the prophet of Israel. He's the one who's supposed to be in the intimate presence of the Lord. He's the one who's supposed to be hearing the word of the Lord. He is the one who's supposed to be close to God. And what does he do? He runs the other direction. So here's a prophet, a missionary, a religious leader, the supposed hero. And he comes to us as almost a laughable figure. See, he's called by God, which we'd look at and we'd kind of expect that. That's normal. But then he runs completely in the opposite direction. But here's the satire. We'll learn as we go through the book that as he hops aboard a ship with a bunch of Gentile pagan sailors, it is their hearts who are softened more than his is. He's then thrown overboard only to be swallowed by a giant fish, which in the end is less a vehicle of judgment and more a vehicle of grace. It is through the fish that Jonah is saved. What an unlikely hero. But that is precisely the point. For the story of Jonah exposes our utter foolishness, our not listening to God, and then God's heart of boundless compassion. The theme of the book of Jonah is the boundless compassion. Just to give you the end of the story, Jonah chapter 4, the book closes with God asking Jonah this question. It says, and the Lord said to Jonah, you pity this plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. The satire is used by God to bring us up into the story, to catch you into the drama. 
get you to kind of drop your guard because you're caught up in the story. And then when you're least aware to expose us to see ourselves and thus to see God. We're caught up in the action and the drama and the tension only to find ourselves asking, looking at God's heart and saying, does my heart reflect the heart of God? Am I willing to be a vehicle of compassion in this community or am I running away from God? Am I running away as fast as I can from his purposes, his story? The story begs us to ask of ourselves the question, have I heard the call of God, but I've missed the heart of God? This morning I challenge you, know your ways, know your tendencies. We all do it. We're all Jonah. Don't walk away from here and say, Jeff, you might be Jonah, but not me. We're all Jonah. But the ways of you being Jonah are very different than the ways I might be Jonah. Some of us, like Jonah, are flight. Some of us are fight. Actually, Jonah, as we go through the story, he's both. He's fight and flight, and we'll see that. As he flees, he's flight, and then in the end, he fights. As we dive into the introduction, just three verses, we're going to look at three things. First of all, how did this commissioning came? What were its means? What it was, what is the content of the commissioning? And lastly, what is Jonah's response? Look with me at verse 1 and the means. The means of Jonah's commissioning. It says simply, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Here is this historical figure. What did prophets, prophets do? They received the revelation, the special revelation of God. Now we don't know a lot about Jonah. We know that his name means dove. And we're given some historical background in 2 Kings chapter 14. In 2 Kings chapter 14, it says, In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Labo Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. Now, who was Jeroboam? He was a great military leader who ruled in Israel, the northern kingdom. He ruled during the 8th century from 782. B.C. to 753 B.C., and as the text says, he was not a good guy, at least in the eyes of the Lord. He did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Due to his sin, Israel was oppressed by the Syrians, but because of the Lord's great compassion, Israel was delivered from this oppression. And even though Jeroboam did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, here, what do we see? The Lord's blessing him. Expand the boundaries. He's recapturing towns that were earlier lost. And this was in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken through the prophet Jonah. So what do we learn about Jonah here right at the outset? He saw firsthand God's restorative work. He saw firsthand God's boundless compassion. He knew God's character. He knew the nature of God. He knew the ways of God. He was very familiar with God and his ways. He knew how God communicated his ways through his word, that his word was his means of communicating everything we need to know in order to live faithfully, to experience and worship God. He prophesied in the 8th century, which made him a contemporary of the prophet Amos. Amos was the one who said, The Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. So here's Jonah, like Amos, called to hear the voice of the Lord, called to be in the intimate presence of the Lord. Remember that. He's called to be in the intimate presence of the Lord and then to declare that word, 
declare that will to the Lord's people. This is important because this is part of the irony. Jonah, as a prophet, is the recipient of this kind of blessing. His whole life is to be spent in the intimate presence of the Lord, listening to God, walking with God, declaring his word, hearing his word. And Jonah is about to be on the run from God. But before Jonah responds, let's look at the next point. What is the content of Jonah's commission? And this is very simple, very clear. This is not one where Jonah has to go, Lord, I'm really not catching your drift here. Because look at verse 2. It says, very simply, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before him. I don't think Jonah misheard him. Perhaps you said, Tarshish, Lord? Was I missing something? No. Arise, go to Nineveh that capital city of Assyria, that great city, and preach against it. Jonah's commissioning and his disobedient response leaves the reader, here's the natural question that should be coming to us, what will happen to Jonah? What happens to one who is so blatantly disobedient? See, this becomes paralleled in the second half of the book, chapter 3, verse 1, when it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, even notice God's boundless compassion. God doesn't give up. Okay, Jonah, you didn't listen the first time. We put you in a fish. We got you out of the fish. Let's try again. Here comes the second. This is kind of like how many times will the church hear, go and make disciples of all nations. Perhaps you didn't hear me. Go and make disciples of all nations. Here it comes the second time. Go and call out, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it the message that I tell you. And now, instead of what will happen to Jonah, we're left with what will happen to the Ninevites. Sinclair Ferguson, in his commentary on the book of Jonah, he says this book should be subtitled Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Because Dr. Ferguson writes, he says, God is sovereign and rules over all things, but the pulse beat of God's heart has an evangelistic rhythm. He loves men and women, and he will pursue them with his love in order to bring them to repentance and faith. See, Jonah has no excuse. The content of his call and commission is crystal clear. It comes with great clarity. Arise, go. It comes with a heavy, heavy sense of responsibility to that great city and call out against it. Nineveh was the last capital of the Assyrian Empire, located on the east side of the Tigris River, directly opposite the modern city of Mosul in northern Iraq. See, again, I've, and I've mentioned this, it's not like times where we're having to question, what is the will of God? It's not like Jonah is sitting there and saying, God, please make your will clear to me. He knows exactly what he's supposed to do. Look with me at verse 3. How does he respond? But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Isn't it interesting that twice it is mentioned Jonah was heading for Tarshish and twice it is mentioned he was going away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah made his response, just like God's call was crystal clear, Jonah made his response crystal clear. See, think about this. What is meant by the term fleeing from the presence of the Lord? How can one escape from God's presence when God is everywhere? Well, this is not talking about God's omnipresence in that sense. Jonah is not escaping from the presence of the Lord in the sense of God everywhere. He is escaping from the felt, intimate communion with and walking with the Lord. He is disobeying his prophetic commissioning and ministry. He is fleeing from having his heart in tune with the Lord. 
In other words, Jonah was determined to run away from the Lord. And he gives us the reason. He gives us the reason in chapter 4. This is why I said this book is literary gold. This is literary genius. Chapter 4, it says, It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. See, why does Jonah disobey? Why does Jonah resist going to Nineveh? He's not afraid of failure. He's afraid of success. He knows God's heart and God's ways. He knows that if God is calling him to Nineveh, that God, because God is a missionary God, God who we see in the New Testament in the person of Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save the lost, must have merciful intentions upon the people of Nineveh. And Jonah says, oh, I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of that. See, he was a prophet in and to Israel. He knew God's character. He knew God's ways. He knew the Old Testament Great Commission given in Genesis chapter 12, the vocation of Israel, that all nations shall be blessed through you. He knew that that was the calling of Israel that he was to be a prophet about. He knew that that was the promise given to Abraham, that his job was to carry the gospel to the world. And here's Nineveh, a pagan Gentile nation. See, look at this. Assyria is an enemy of Israel. Assyria is Israel's greatest threat during the 8th century B.C. And Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. So process with me, what is Jonah thinking? Okay, I know the Great Commission. I know God's mission is to bring the gospel to the world, that the gospel, even in Old Testament times, is for the nations. I know that's the job of the church of the Old Testament. But what if I bring the gospel to Nineveh and they repent and they become converted? They will become stronger. They will become a larger empire. They will become a greater enemy to Israel. And Jonah puts Israel or nation first before God. See, there's nothing wrong with loving your country. Let me make that absolutely clear. There is nothing wrong with loving your country. There's everything wrong with loving your country more than you love God. Jesus said, seek first. He didn't say, I want to be number four. He didn't say, down on the list. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jonah's problem is like our problem, disordered loves, where we love other things. Recognize this is what idolatry is all about. Idolatry doesn't necessarily mean you're loving bad things. It means you're making good things into ultimate things, and you're loving them more than God. See, Jonah ran away from the Lord because he knew God's character. He knew that salvation was from the Lord. But he had to learn that it was not the exclusive possession of any one group. Friends, let me ask you, what are the ways you run from God? What are the things that you love more than God? See, are you avoiding him? The writer Flannery O'Connor from this area, what did she say? She said in one of her writings, we so often even do our good things in order to avoid Jesus. See, friends, you have to have the courage to search your heart. What are the unique ways you run from God? 
And let me ask you a few searching questions. Does it have to make sense to you before you will obey? You go, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm not sure I'm going to do it. Rather than doing it because God says so and because you love him. Do you make excuses? Do you put off obeying God? I can obey him tomorrow. What is your Tarshish? What do you run to? Tim Keller, in his sermon on Jonah, he says, whenever we seek to run away from the Lord, there will always be a boat waiting to take us there. You want to go to Tarshish, God's going to say, here you go, get on in the boat. What are the ways you uniquely run from God? And then what is our hope? How does our God respond to your running from him? Matthew chapter 12 says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. See, while Jonah runs away from God, and only later will he reluctantly preach to a city against his will, what does Jesus do? Jesus freely gave his life to save many. We run away from God, and Jesus voluntarily laid down his life in order to secure you, in order to pursue you, in order to reclaim you. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down out of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. See, friends, Jonah was absolutely true to his heart. He was true to his heart in running away from the Lord. And Jesus was true to his heart in laying down his life of his own accord voluntarily for his sheep. How do you run from God? Friends, plunge your heart into Jesus' heart, the one greater than Jonah, who rather than running from God's call to die, lay down his life for you. Trust and plunge your heart into the boundless compassion of God. Father, I pray that we would learn to entrust ourselves to your compassion for us, to see that you are a unique, amazing God. When we began our worship service this morning, our call to worship with the declaration, holy is he, it is that you are completely other, completely unique. Who in the world would sacrifice his life and give up his very life to reclaim those who hate him, who are hostile to him, who run for him, who avoid him, and even if we're honest, when we come back, don't even appreciate him all that much. Lord, what kind of God are you? May we plunge our hearts into your amazing love and your boundless compassion. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together. All to Jesus, I surrender.
friends, now receive the Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen.